the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You need to get healthy because you are God's building. And when the building is looking good, you give glory to God. You need to get healthy because you are God's temple. And when the temple looks like it's filled with the Holy Spirit, that gives glory to God. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. We lived out in the country and we had a little garden and we'd usually plant tomatoes and cucumbers, sometimes okra and watermelon. And, but we would also leave in the summer. We might go to the beach or we might go uh, somewhere on vacation. And, and so no one was there to water and to weed. And we would come back and sometimes the plants would be dead out in the field. Or the plants might be there, but you could hardly see them because it was full of weeds. Matter of fact, we lived in the sand hills of South Carolina. Keyword sand. So we had this big old front yard and you couldn't grow grass in it. So we just tried to keep the, the weeds cut. Because somebody said, even weeds look good if you keep them trimmed. <laughs> and so some of your lives, they don't look like this cotton field. They, they look more like, uh, kind of like the bushes in front of my house do after that last cold snap. Anybody else got some dead looking shrubs? Yeah. Or maybe it looks like uh, just a yard full of weeds. And Paul was saying, that's not okay. So you, you've got to learn to recognize that. You're either serious about this thing or you're flipping about it. And if you're serious about it, you look at your field and you begin to evaluate it. Because Jesus said in John 15, when you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear fruit. And then he doesn't stop. He goes on to say, well, actually, you'll bear more fruit. And then he says, actually, you'll bear much fruit. And we have to evaluate our lives and determine if we're, bearing fruit. But if we're not growing, we don't bear fruit. But living things grow. Spiritually mature Christians exhibit spiritual growth. And so just look at your life. You've got that scale. You either drew it or you're thinking about it. Where are you? Are you at the same place you were when you began this journey? Or some of you, what you've done, man, you were on fire. You're ready to take on hell with water pistols. And man, you took out, you moved from zero to one to two to three to four to five. And then something happened. Maybe somebody made you mad in church or, or maybe, maybe something happened in life that was a circumstance that you didn't like. Or maybe that habitual sin sprung its ugly head back up and, and you begin to step back. And the spirit of God is in you. You're justified but you're living carnally. You're living in the flesh. 
I want you to evaluate your growth. Part of the problem is that discontentment that comes with immaturity. It makes us think, well, I would do it if blank. So I hear people all the time, Pastor, I'd get more involved when my kids get a little older. Or I'll get more involved when I have kids. Or I'll get more involved when my kids are gone. (laughs) Or I'll get more involved when I retire. We come up with all these things. But what I've discovered, if you don't grow where you're planted, you're going to take root nowhere. So to illustrate this further, Paul gives another example. Look at verse 9. Yes, we're God's fellow workers. You're God's field. But you're also, look at this, God's building. According to the grace God's given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Someone else is building upon it. Let each one of you take care of how he builds it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious woods, or precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest. Interesting, in this category, some of you that have hung out in church, you know that list. Jesus kind of mentions this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7. In this particular list, Paul doesn't distinguish what's good or bad, but he does point out in verse 13, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So again, he's talking to those who are Christ followers. The Spirit of God is dwelling within them, but he's saying you're spending your life and you're spinning your wheels. And some of you are doing things that are going to last. Others of you are doing things that it may even look like good things. But at the end, it's going to be nothing. And yes, you're going to make it to heaven, but I promise you, you're going to regret that you've spent your life on things that just got burned up in an instant. So... uh, I've seen some of the great buildings of this world. This is the uh, Burj Khalifa. It's in uh, Dubai. It's a pretty amazing building. In fact, that whole city, which is a relatively new city, you drive into it and you just recognize, good night, everything here is bigger than anything in New York City. I mean, it, it really is a testimony to the buildings of man. There's some great buildings in this world. I've seen a lot of them. I I love the Eiffel Tower. I'm amazed by it every time I I visit Paris. And God is saying, I I want you to understand, not only are you my field, you're my building. So when people look at you, they should see me build up in you in such a way that it draws their attention to me. How do you get there, God? Well, first of all, you you understand that it's all a gift. Paul said this as he began, everything I have, I want you to know, it's a result of God's grace. Spiritually mature Christ followers model grace. And so you begin by saying, God, anything good in me came from you. But I want to build on it. What am I building on? I'm building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says. It's the foundation of Jesus. What does that mean? It's talking about the gospel. It's the simple truth, the milk of the gospel. Here's what it is. Every one of us when we're born, we're not good. Don't buy the lie. You're not good. Every one of us when we're born, we're sinners separated from God. And that sin keeps us from doing the things God wants us to do. 
It causes us to do things God doesn't want us to do. We miss out on his best for our life. And if it's unaddressed, it will cause us to spend eternity separated from him in hell. But God loves us so much, and he demonstrated that love in that even though and while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. So the milk, the heart, the truth of the gospel is that even though I was a sinner, God loved me and died for me. And that if I would just trust what Jesus did on the cross, that'll, come the found, that'll become the foundation, the stones on which the best things of my life can be built. But if I'm trusting in something else, even if it's good stuff, if I'm trusting in religion or if I'm trusting in ritual or if I'm trusting in my wealth or if I'm trusting in my career or if I'm trusting in my education, even those good things, those aren't bad things, even those good things, if I'm trusting in those things and not the foundation of Jesus, my life will end up being lost. But if by God's grace, I understand that I can build on the foundation of what Jesus has done for me, then... I begin to build to last. So again, we're doing evaluation. I would just encourage you, think about what in your life are you doing that is being built to last? Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. How much of your energy and your resource and and everything in you is being spent on stuff that just doesn't matter? That's what God's word calls wood, hay, and straw. It may allow you to build up. But in the end, it's going to be burn up in an instant. And we see that even in the church. We see big church buildings build and big ministries grown. And and you look behind it and it's fluff. When I was beginning in ministry, one of the things I did right out of seminary, our first year, Kimberly and I went and and we went to a conference in Southern California and we sat in and what at that time was one of the, the largest, not only structures, but ministries in the world was led by Robert Schuller. It's called the Crystal Cathedral. Until within 15 years, it went bankrupt and was sold. Wood, hay, and straw. Or are you building with those things that last, that make a difference, that have eternal impact? And the reason this is so important is because he says one day you're going to give an account. Now, Paul's going to come back and he's going to deal with this day later in the same letter. But he just gives us a little taste of it right here. He says, there's going to be an account on that day. Just in case you miss this, there's two examples of accounting in the Bible before God. One is the great white throne judgment of God. And that's where every person who's ever lived will stand before God. And and the Bible describes it this way. It'll be determined whether or not your name is in the Lamb's book of life. Did you make the list? 
And that's the crazy thing is there's a lot of people that Paul was addressing that, that had made the list. They had stepped across the faith line. Like some of you, I mean, some of you, you know, if you were to die today, you would go to heaven. You don't doubt your relationship with God, but you're kind of just across the line. <laughs> so what he reminded them, there's going to be that day. And that day is the day we stand before Jesus. And what the Bible refers to as the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ. Now, uh, about... 17, 18 years ago, I went to Corinth. And one of my memories in Corinth was standing before an actual bema. The judgment stand, the ruins of it, where the leader of the city of Corinth would stand as the military processional would go by after a, a, a victory at war. And he would give rewards based on the victory. So when Paul would say, you're going to come before the bema, they would understand that. They would know that he was saying one day there is a judge and he wants to reward you for the life that you've lived. And some of you are going to come there and all he, all you're going to have is this wood, hay, and straw. And there's going to be nothing to reward you. And then he goes on and he gives us one more illustration. Let me give you that quickly. Verse 16. Do you not know that you're God's temple? That God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy. And you are that temple. I need to pause there because some of you, you're on the right track, but you're slightly confused. Because we're going to hear this same dude, we're going to hear Paul later say, hey, your body is the temple of God. And we're grateful for that, right? We're grateful for that knowledge because that's part of what helps us as Christ's follower make decisions if we're walking in the spirit because we recognize we need to be more healthy because our health is a reflection of our understanding of the temple. And so like even this morning, I woke up, I didn't feel great. And I promise as I was spending time in prayer and just thinking about things, I, I, I thought I need to make some changes in my health uh, because I need to be more healthy because this is not just me. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's true, but that's not what he's talking about here. So really to understand this, um, you kind of need to, I need to speak a little South Carolinian to you. Because really what he's saying is, hey, y'all, y'all are the temple. And he knew they would think about the temple, the temple like they would have envisioned in Jerusalem. And the temple was holy. And even today, the Jews, when I go to Jerusalem later this year, uh, we will hear about how preparations are made, being made for the rebuilding of the temple. There's a lot of emphasis given to that physical structure. But Paul was saying, hey, when you think about the temple from this moment on, I want you to understand, y'all are the temple. It's what I was taught in church growing up. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open it up. See all the people. The people are the church. The church is not a building. The church is not bricks and sticks. You are the temple of God. And so then he says, so listen up. God takes it seriously when you mess with his temple. It's a big deal when you are discontent in the church or you show division in the church or you're disruptive in the church because the church is the temple of God. Not the building, but the people. So he's saying, get it right. Let no one deceive himself, he says in verse 18. If any of you thinks he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. 
For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and they're futile. So just like he has in chapter one and chapter two, he's talking about wisdom versus foolishness. And then he says, so let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether it's Paul or Apollos or Peter, Cephas, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all of yours, and you are Christ and Christ is God. So what is he saying? It's not about Paul or Apollos or Peter or fill in the blank. It's not about you. It's all about God. So are you building up his temple? Are you giving him glory? He's saying this really demonstrates whether or not you get it. So I want you just to exchange because in our culture, we understand better if we use the word church. Because most of you, unless you're from a Jewish background, you didn't grow up going to temple. So, so what he's asking is, is, is your life building up the church or is church just something you go to occasionally? Is church something you do or have you understood that church is who you are? Because when you understand that church is who you are, you give your resources, you use your gifts, you go to make a difference to build up the church because you understand it's flowing out of your relationship with God. See, spiritually mature Christ followers understand their relationship with God and they recognize it. That influences everything I do. The problem the problem, and, and some of us here, and I pray in the name of Jesus that we hear this today, you've got a relationship with Christ. But like Paul, this Paul can't say to you, you're spiritual. You're living in the flesh. And what you've done is you've compartmentalized this relationship with God. And so you're sincere in that. But when you go to work, it's not reflected. When you go into the classroom, it's not reflected. In your neighborhood, it's not reflected. When you go out and party, it's not reflected. At Gasparilla yesterday, it wasn't reflected. And that's not okay. It's a lot of sickness. And so the question I have to ask, am I modeling spiritual health? Or am I spreading spiritual sickness? So yesterday, Buck calls me. He says, hey, I'm sick. And I said, I know, we've been talking about this for a couple of days. I know, I went to the doctor, I've got the flu. I said, well, I want to kick your you-know-what because I told you to go to the doctor a couple of days ago. <laughs> so he says, I'm contagious. I know, stay away. Well, we've already got some holes tomorrow. I think I can come, but I need to wear a mask. I said, you are not coming. Ain't nobody want what you got. Now, listen, some of y'all putting your little mask on and you walking in here like everything's okay, but you spreading your junk and you're spiritually sick and you need to get well. You need to get healthy, not to fulfill a list of do's and don'ts, not so you can check off a box at church, 
You need to get healthy because you are God's field. And when your field is full of fruit, when it's full of harvest, that gives glory to God. You need to get healthy because you are God's building. And when the building is looking good, you give glory to God. You need to get healthy because you are God's temple. And when the temple looks like it's filled with the Holy Spirit, that gives glory to God. It's all about him. Some of you are wasting your life. The year was 2000. I think it was in May. A preacher of a church about this size got up in Memphis to address a crowd of about 40,000 college students. He began to tell a story. I just want to read some of what he said. Three weeks ago, we got news at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Ruby Eliason, over 80, single all her life, a nurse, poured her life out for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and poor in the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards, a medical doctor in the Twin Cities in in her retirement, partnering with Ruby, she also was pushing 80, going from village to village in Cameroon. The brakes gave way over a cliff. They go and they're dead instantly. And he said, I asked the people of my church, is this a tragedy? Two women in their 80s, almost a whole life devoted to one idea, Jesus Christ magnified among the poor and the sick in the hardest places. And 20 years after most of the American counterparts had begun to throw their lives away on trivialities in Florida and New Mexico, they fly into eternity with death in a moment. Is this a tragedy, I ask? That crowd of college students screamed out, no. He said, you're right, it's not a tragedy. I read to you a tragedy, and he pulled out a copy of a Reader's Digest. He said, I don't even subscribe to this. I guess I stole it from a doctor's office. And then he read, Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. They now live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler and they play softball and collect shells. That's a tragedy, he told the crowd. And there are people in the country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy it. But I plead with you, don't buy it. Don't buy that dream. As the last chapter, when you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account on that day for what you did, here it is, Lord, my shell collection. And look at my golf swing. And don't you like my boat? Don't waste your life. John Piper uttered quietly that day. And then he reminded them of that quote. Many of you have heard by C.T. Studd that says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Don't don't waste your life just to pick up seashells. 
Don't spend your life just seeing how many followers you can get on social media or how big your bank account will get or what people think about you. What a joke. What a waste. Instead, relish in the wealth of the cross. I love the words we sang a moment ago. My wealth is in the cross. There's nothing more I want. I count it all as loss. But did you catch when we sang that phrase, and when I stand in glory, let this my confession be, my wealth is in the cross. You're going to spend your life investing in something. Make it count. Make a difference for His glory. And decide to start doing that today. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, a.m. 570 and 910.